All righty, so you're going to want to look in your Bibles in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to be there today, 12, 13, 14, and 15, continuing our series on God's Way Out. But I want you to look at this picture on the screen. I actually got to shoot this myself. Earlier this month, I was at the Air Force Academy in my role as the senior reserve chaplain, and the uh, senior chaplain was gone from the academy, so I was sitting in all of the meetings uh, with all the movers and shakers from the academy, very quietly, by the way, um, trying to mind my own business. And uh, leading the meeting, of course, was the three-star general, Lieutenant General Michelle B. Johnson, who graduated from the academy many moons ago, and she was announcing that the Secretary of Defense, Ashton B. Carter, was coming to visit the next day, and that he was so busy and had such a hectic schedule that he would be landing by a helicopter right on the terrazzo of the academy, not going to the airport and then coming in by motorcade. And But everyone is to be dressed up and ready and uh, greet him and his entourage and impress him favorably and on and on and on. And lots of preparation had been made. So the next day I'm working on my desk and I hear a helicopter go right overhead. And I, oh yeah, that guy's coming. He's going to land. I should go watch. I could get a picture. So I run out there. I'm fumbling around with my phone trying to get a picture of the helicopter landing, but I didn't quite get it all done right. That's not that smart of a phone. And so it was a beautiful, windy day in Colorado, and uh, fortunately, his entourage comes in one helicopter, he comes in the next one. So what you have here is, uh, before we get the little video going, is the people are uh, from the first helicopter. They're the entourage with the DVs, the distinguished visitors that are greeting them, all the muckety-mucks all saying hello, and it's good to have you here. And they're standing there waiting for the second helicopter to arrive. Okay, roll it from there and watch this little disaster. Somebody from the Secretary of Defense's entourage had dropped a folder of papers that was a briefing. Some of them were marked secret. Um, I, I found some of them with handwritten notes on them. I don't know whose briefing it was or if they were actually the Secretary of Defense's himself, but they were swept under the helicopter, churned up in the air. Some of them went over the top of the, I wish I'd gotten a little bit more of the chapel because it's right there. Over 200 feet in the air. I watched some, I stopped filming this. Did you want to see it again? It's not very long. Ready? Okay, now you know what you're looking for. Ready? Okay, show, show that again. I mean, I had to stop filming to run Chase Papers. I probably found 40 or 50 of them myself. People pouring out of all the buildings, all protocols set aside. Just get the poor guy's papers back to him. You know, everybody's chasing them. They went north, south, east, west. Some of them went over the chapel. Some of them floated on up over Harmon Hall. And, and I'm up there, and I stopped filming to try to get them uh, for, for uh, the guy because, I mean, it's somebody's disaster. Now, I actually haven't heard the end of this story, so I'll have to fill you in if I ever learn, okay, whose papers were they and uh, what price was to be paid, but there's a great lesson in this. Sometimes we make decisions, we take actions we have, that have far-reaching consequences, and at some point, it's out of our hands, and we're not able to undo something that we've just done. We've been studying here in the book of Exodus how God is making a way for people who had no way to get out of slavery into freedom. God has a plan. 
But Pharaoh also has a plan of his own. And he's hardened his heart against God. And he has this traumatic experience. Suddenly, Pharaoh's plans are blown to smithereens. All his secrets, all his plans go up in smoke. His, his hard way of hard-hearted, heavy-handedness on all the people, it's all lost. They wake up in the night to find that his son has died. Because he's been hard-hearted against God for so long. We've been tracking the story of God at work in the lives of his people, Israel, when they're enslaved in Egypt, and God sent his servant Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Pharaoh's the world leader at the time, and he has a choice to make. Do I listen to God's voice and obey his direction, or do I think I'm in charge and find whatever reason to discount God's word, harden my heart against God, and do my own thing? Pharaoh hardened his heart. God insisted on obedience. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God sent a plague as a warning, one and then another and another and another and another and another and another until he got nine of them. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and the stage is set for a showdown because God has heard the cries of his people all the way from heaven. God cares. God listens. God loves. God responds, and the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God who loves us now, who loved them then. And he responds the same way when his people call out to him in prayer. And he's patient. He's got a plan. He's moving. And God has sent Moses and empowered him to speak on God's behalf and to do miracles in God's name. And that's where we're picking the story up in Exodus chapter 12. God has instructed the people in their preparation of a Passover lamb because sin separates. It's expensive. It breaks the relationship with God. Innocent blood must be shed to atone for sin. And God has instructed them, take a one-year-old lamb, take its blood, put it on the doorpost of your house in preparation. Eat your last meal in slavery together, standing up, waiting for the moment that God is going to act. People who believed God obeyed. People thought, I got plenty of time, or God doesn't really mean that. They didn't take God at his word, waited to their own disaster. Because after warning After warning, after warning, God acted. There came a point, and our God is a very patient God. He's a loving God, and he wants people to come into right relationship with him, but there is a point where God is going to take decisive action, and the opportunity for deciding if you're going to listen and obey or go your own way will have passed. Pharaoh hardened his heart to the point, and he probably even went to bed that night thinking, ha ha, one more day I stood up to Moses and his God. And he's probably content that he'd rejected the demands once again, let my people go. He'd even told Moses the last time he saw him, don't ever show up here again or I'm going to kill you. Moses had left pretty hot under the collar out of Moses, out of Pharaoh's presence that day. Anger is kind of a problem Moses had most of his life, but that's a different story. And he goes out from the presence of Pharaoh, and God acts that day. Now, you remember when Moses was born 80 years before this, uh, Pharaoh at the time had instructed the midwives, if the baby is born a boy, kill him. And when they refused to because they honored God more than Pharaoh, then Pharaoh took it to all the people of Egypt. If you get a chance to kill a Jewish baby, kill him. They had lived for 80 years under genocide. 
I appreciated the song the choir sang for the children. Because in this story that we're looking at, God has been watching and God has cared and he cares about his people and he gets them ready, but he is going to settle the score. Justice is mine, God says. I will repay, and he does. And so those who have been obedient to God are covered under his blood because obedience to God brought protection and it brought blessing. Obedience to God today still brings protection and blessing. Disregard is sure to bring judgment and disaster. So we've worked our way up to verse 29 here in chapter 12. And let's look at verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, get out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you've said. Take your flocks and your herds as you've said, and be gone, and bless me also. This is basically 100% surrender by Pharaoh to the God of his slaves. I mean, it's kind of wild. He's basically saying, get lost, kid. Be gone and bless me also. Now, I recognize Pharaoh's probably in shock. His son has died, and he wants distance. I mean, this is the son who would be the heir to the throne. This is his legacy. His future are now in jeopardy. How can it get any worse, he wonders. Maybe I will too be put to death. And so he says, bless me also even though he has been hard-hearted, unrepentant, and is hard-hearted still. He still wants to be blessed. Pharaoh never bows before God and says, God, you are the Lord. You are in charge. Let's do it your way. No, he doesn't. And he paid a high price for it. He will bow someday. Someday, every person ever born is going to bow before God. It talks about it in Philippians chapter 2 in a passage called the kenosis passage, which is the Greek word for he emptied himself. It says Jesus was in heaven. God was sending him here to earth to die as the uh, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus emptied himself of whatever it took to become fully human being in this world He found himself as a man. He humbled himself to become a servant. He died on the cross. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is still coming, but in that day, there will be two groups of people bowing before God, those like Pharaoh, who have hardened their hearts and refused to give God his proper place and will pay the price for all eternity, and those like Moses, who've submitted their hearts and their lives to God, their families, their plans, their hopes, their futures, their dreams, their concerns, their everything. They've put it in God's hands, and they will live joyfully in God's presence forever and ever. Which group are you in? Why not choose today to say, I'm going to open my heart to God and let him break the hardness that's there. Look what happened that night after waiting for so long. The slaves were set free, and they headed out of Egypt as free men and free women. It says the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, 
Besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them. I'm assuming those are people who are not Jewish who just said, this is our big chance. Let's get out of slavery. Let's get out of Egypt. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and they couldn't wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves." The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. These people have waited 430 years. They have prayed. They have hoped They have dreamed. They have begged God. God comes and acts, and they're not ready. They hadn't made their provisions. They had a lack of faith. And God's timing is never late. God's always right on time. Are you waiting for something? Have you been waiting and waiting, wondering, God, don't you see? Don't you know? Don't you care? Keep waiting. Stay faithful. Stay patient. God's timing's never late. Listen to God's voice and just follow Him. You know, that's what we're trying to do as a church. We live in a dark and tumultuous world that has all kinds of values that we would say are wrong that are being lifted up as right. And we need to say, what does God's word say? And how do we live our lives based on the Bible, on God's holy word that he gives us as a guide for our faith and our practice? We want to be right in step with God. Now, Exodus is a large book, and I can't cover everything in the short time that we have together, so there's some paragraphs that Moses comes back and talks more about um, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and um, it's basically a call to purity and how we live our lives, and then God called them to consecrate the firstborn males. Every family that had a firstborn male was to consecrate that male to God as a gift. Kind of an interesting dichotomy, isn't it, that on one hand, all the firstborn males of Egypt are put to death by the angel of death, by God's judgment, and then the firstborn males of all the Jewish people are to be dedicated to serving God with their whole lives. My parents made that promise, and I'm still paying it off. We pick up the story in Exodus 13, and God has led his people out of slavery in Egypt in a pretty dramatic fashion. And then it says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God is present in this pillar of fire, the cloud. He put the Egyptians in a cloud, in a fog. But he puts the people of God in the light. Well, it didn't take very long for Pharaoh's shock to thaw into raw anger. And he changes his mind about letting all the slave labor walk out for free. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this we've done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and army overtook them and camped at the sea by something in front of something. (laughs) Now you have this picture. 
Moses has this huge mass of people. It says there's 600,000 in the army. So if each of those men were married and each one had one child, you'd have over 2 million people. The logistics could stagger your mind if you thought about it. How do you communicate with that many people? How do you move that many people? How do you get that many people fed? How do you get them water? What do you do about stragglers? What about people who need a little more time? What about people who want to bring the extra, you know, like the family China or, or something? They don't even have a pickup truck. Moses follows God's guidance, but they come to a place where there's mountains on this side and mountains on that side, and God's pillar of fire has been leading them. They come right down to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden they hear this huge clamor of pursuing chariots in the army of Egypt in hot pursuit. Would that strike fear into your heart? There's no way out. Of course it would. People are trapped. There's no way to go forward. The obstacles are too high on each side. There's no way to back up. They're terrified. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They're filled with fear. So they did the right first step. They call out to the Lord. But they didn't wait for the Lord to answer. They take a dastardly turn. They took the first right step and then they got off track and they never recovered. I mean, look at the progression. They're in a bind. Things aren't going well. They're filled with fear. They cry out to the Lord. Now they have an option. Wait or take it into their own hands. What should they have done? They should wait for the Lord. Listen to his voice and obey. But instead they complained. They grumbled. They murmured. They gave up on their faith and they gave up on their God and his sustaining power. When time gets tough, what happens? The faithful stay faithful. The people who choose to believe God still choose to believe God. But these people go to Moses and you can, I mean, they're listening to their comments tinged with sarcasm. They said to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we could serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better to serve, for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. These people have been trapped in Egypt for 430 years. And they're leaving Egypt between the years 1300 B.C. and 1500 B.C. Well, the pyramids in Egypt that you see on the postcards, some of those date to 2600 B.C. Those pyramids have been there for a thousand years before the Jewish people left, left Egypt. So look at their lack of faith masked in sarcasm. Is it because is there's no graves in Egypt? I mean, who does graves better than Egypt? Nobody. I mean, it seemed to be their specialty. What are they really saying? We are petrified. We think we're going to die out here in the wilderness. Have we gone through all this hassle to get out here just to die? How do we dare trust God when disaster is imminent? It's going to overtake us. And they have their eyes on their problem instead of on the provider. They had their eyes on their problem instead of on the provider. They're only thinking about me, me, me. What am I going to do instead of, I've got a great God. He just saved us. He just brought us out of Egypt. He just set us free. My parents and grandparents and great, great, greats all wished for this. And it's happening. And God set us free. And they still lack faith. I mean, what have you done for me lately? Come on, he's just gotten them out of slavery. Give God some credit. And Moses says to the people, fear not, 
Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Look what God gave Moses to tell the people at that moment. People who are panicked. They are frantic with fear. They're frantic. Their life isn't going to work out as they've planned it, that it's only going to end in disaster. And he says, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Do you know that you can read that over and over and over and over in the Bible? God tells his people, don't be afraid. Fear not. I looked up the word fear that's in the Bible 437 times. The word afraid is 165 times. Fear not. Fear is a plague on the soul. It's like a polio. It just keeps you from exercising your muscles of faith. It reduces you to this inward focus that's all about you rather than saying God's a big God and he wants to demonstrate his power and his glory through me and through my situation. Fear not. Then he says, stand firm. Don't do anything. Just stand there. Hold your ground. It's an act of faith. If you've heard God's voice and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he's still consistent. Just trust God. You've heard his voice. Stand there. If you're ridiculed, stand for God. If you're being harassed by your friends or a hostile environment, stand for God. Just trust God. He will see. He will know. He will act. He will guide. He, that's putting your faith into practice. Just stand firm. And then he said, see the salvation of the Lord. It's not your own efforts. Let God be God. You have the chance for a front row seat to one of the greatest shows on earth. God's at work in you and for you and around you and right in front of you. Just watch for it. Watch for it. Watch for it. Yeah. Whew. I knew it all along. No, you didn't. Your heart was filled with fear, but you chose to be not afraid and to stand firm and to watch God work. And then look what he says at the end. And be silent. The Lord will fight for you. Just be silent. Just wait before the Lord. I had an unfortunate time. I guess I learned a valuable lesson. Or as it got sideways with the boss, we were in conflict. Things were being said. And I'm hearing some of these things second and third and fourth hand. It's not a pretty scene. And one night I'm tossing and turning. I'm thinking about these things. And it's now so unfair and this and this and this. I'm getting all worked up and Cindy's sleeping. So I don't want to disturb her. I sneak out of bed and I go sit down. I'm writing down a list of um, the, uh, the uh, things that have, aren't, aren't fair that I, where I'm being violated and I'm turn, being turned into a victim. Mom, right now, I can't write it fast enough. I don't have a computer at home at the time, but I did over at my office. So I go over to the office. It's three in the morning. I'm dressed in flip flops and, and shorts and a t shirt, and it's cold outside, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to just zip into the office where it's warm and I'm going to work on this computer. I'm really going to get this all nailed down. And as I walk around the corner of the building to go into the office, I just about walked into somebody. It scared me. I dropped the stuff I was carrying. It scared him. I go, wah! It's three o'clock in the morning. I look back. It's a teenager. He's got a foot up on the wall. He's slumped over. He's in an army jacket and blue jeans and, uh, and just looks, uh, you know, discouraged like, like there's no hope. I go on in the building. I sit down at the computer. I'm getting everything. I've got it all worked up, and I'm working on the second page uh, on this Word document. And as clearly as I've ever heard God say anything to me, I heard God say, you just failed the test. I said, what? I'm the one there. This is so unfair. On and on and on. I said, you just failed the test. He said, I said, what? He said, what's your title? I said, well, I'm the minister of youth. He said, you, 
You just walked past a youth at three o'clock in the morning in the cold of the night and you're so wrapped up in yourself and your own issues that you didn't even invite him to come in and sit down where it's warm. said, oh, jumped up, ran back. He's gone. I'm assuming it was an angel. I come back and I sit down and I'm uh, wanting to start again, but it just doesn't seem right. So I decided, well, I think I heard God's voice. I'm going to talk back to him. I said, well, what should I say then? He said, well, what did Jesus say when he stood on trial? What did Jesus say? Let's see. He stood there so silent, they said, why aren't you saying anything? Let's see. Jesus said nothing. He was silent. God said, yeah, that would be good. That'd be good for you. Just stop talking. Just stand still. Just don't make the problem any bigger. He says, you kind of have a choice. You can be filled with your own anger and frustration and brokenness and issues, or you can be filled with my love and joy and peace. You have a choice, but you can only pick one. I said, well, this one's not all that fun. I want to pick your love, joy, and peace. He said, you got to let go of this. Can't have both. I blanked it out of the computer, destroyed the notes, said, okay, I'm going to try it. Sounds crazy. I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to have an opinion. I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to make this problem any bigger if I can. I'm just going to wait before the Lord. My job was ending in 10 days. Do you know when my new job that I didn't even know about that night started? On the 11th day. I'm convinced that God was in it, that he was working. He took care of the details. He just said, just stand, be silent, let the Lord fight for you. He will fight for you. God isn't bound by the same limitations that you and I are bound by. He can just jump over into the miracle category if he needs to and pick one off here, pick one off there, add them to the mix. I mean, he can work in ways we could never dream. Just let God be God. Just listen, obey his voice, follow him, know his joy. So the people here, they didn't do that. They got so scared. They come to Mohammed. We bring us out here to die. They don't have any graves in Egypt. It's just wait. Moses brings it to the Lord. Look at the Lord said to him, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through, on the, through the sea on dry ground. Moses is going, I never heard something like that before. You can actually get to the water and just kind of open it up like that and walk through on dry ground? God, I can't do that. So take that little staff that I gave you that was yours, that I, you gave back to me. I turned it into a snake, then turned it back into a rod. You've used it to do a plague after plague after plague, a miracle after miracle in Egypt. Just do your little part, Moses. Just hold it out over the water just like that. Then I'll do the rest. Then we'll share the credit. We did it together. Basically, God's telling Moses, stop praying. Time to act. There's times to pray. We probably don't do enough of it. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. We could do more praying. But there's also times to stand and then to act. You hear God's voice and move forward. And it says, the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel, I mean, they're petrified in fear, remember? The angel of the Lord went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So now they're trapped. They got the sea in front. They got the two mountains. But instead of Pharaoh and his army, you've got the pillar of God standing there, protecting them. Came between them and the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. God was present in the pillar of cloud to protect and to guide his people and to set their hearts at peace. 
Well, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And all the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the water being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw them into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels, so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, "Uh uh-oh, we better get out of here. Let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the next paragraph, basically, God says, stretch out your hand, and he does, and the waters all come back together, and all the Egyptians are doing the dead man float. Verse 29, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the water being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptian dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Sure, it would be fun to know all the particulars of this, wouldn't it? I mean, where exactly did they cross the sea? Is there any archaeological evidence still left there? How do you get that many people through on dry ground in one night? Did they walk 50 people? Why did they walk 5,000 people? Why did they go in a march? Did they go in a traffic jam? Did they push and shove? How did they do it? I mean, we're going to have to watch this on the reruns in heaven some night so we can see all the how, how it actually worked. But we're left with this kernel of truth. God leads his people, and God's people follow in faith. And there are tough times ahead in every believer's life in which our faith will be tested. We know they're ahead, and God is never late. God always has a plan, so stand and watch. Let God fight the battles for you. Then celebrate him in joy. And if you read the next chapter, which we don't have time much to look at, but Exodus 15 is this huge song of joy that Moses puts together. Miriam picks it up with her tambourine with the dance with the women. Just the spectacular victory over their enemies who had pinned them in on all sides. And the hero of the song and of the moment is God himself. Worship God. His name is in their song 10 times. And it's the same God we worship. It's the same God we follow. It's the same God we serve. So if the helicopter of life has scattered all your plans this last week, (laughs) exposed all your secrets, knocked you off balance, you got problems? Well, great. Because this scripture is a treasure map to show us. Call out to God and wait before him. Stand and watch God fight the battle for you. Let God lead you. Don't move, in fact, until he gives you guidance. And then celebrate God with great joy because God is awesome. Shall we pray? Dear God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that how we could see how you worked in these people's hearts and lives and situations is the same way you would, you, you've got your eye on us. We're the apple of your eye. You care about us. You care about what we think and how we respond and uh, our faith and our, our choices. And uh, when we're just scattered all over the place and it's, it's, it's just hopelessly gotten away from us, help us get to gather together again enough of our faith to get, pick up the pieces and to follow you and to trust you better because you are God. We love you. Amen.